takes longer to heal too. When I was part of the fellowship of Christian magicians, the goal was to share the gospel through the use of illusions, puppetry, ventriloquism, clowning, balloon sculptures, juggling, and other visual arts. Mrs. Hurdle is smiling because we both have a friend by the name of Phil Belcher, a common friend who, it wasn't just these little balloons that you'd see at parties with little dogs or whatever. He would, he would build you a life-size Noah's Ark uh, out of balloons, and then he had all the animals out of, uh, out of balloons, and the kids would be able to see the story and participate in the story, and it was visually appealing, and they were able to hear the gospel through it. Well, this morning I thought I'd demonstrate something as, just as we get started here. I have a, a bottle of water, and it will present life, and water, because I'm thirsty. And uh, for the purposes this morning, we're going to assume that this is pure. And we're just going to pour some into the glass just like this. The dark ink over here, or dye, represents sin. The things that uh, we do that displeases God, or the things that we don't do that displeases God. And I'm just going to add a little bit into this glass of water, just a tad. And you know, the Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And just a small drop of ink, a little small drop of this dye, it corrupts the purity of the water. And no matter how hard I try to do things that are good, whether go to church, say my prayers, read the Bible, the water still remains Unpure, And you see, the Bible tells us that it's for the wages of sin. For the wages of sin is death, separation from God, but the gift of life is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The Bible also says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and that we are now saved through life. And so it is only by believing with our hearts and confessing with our tongues that Jesus Christ is Lord that we will be saved. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? <laughs> Have you confessed your sin in need of a Savior? Are you saved? This morning we're going to continue our study in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be introduced to a man by the name of Simon. And Simon is an interesting character because he is a sorcerer. He is a magician of sorts. What I did was sleight of hand. There was a secret. If you knew the secret... Um, and with a little bit of practice, you can do this too. Um, but as we read about Simon's encounter with Philip, Peter, and John, his life is going to in illustrate to us a faith that does not save. It's a warning for all of us to examine our hearts. In contrast, next week, as we can continue our study in the book of Acts, we are going to be introduced to an Ethiopian whose life illustrates a faith 
that does save. Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 9. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness, and pray to the Lord, in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Before we continue with our text this morning, I think it's important to understand where we are in the book of Acts. We, we need to understand the context. We need to understand this passage. We, we need to understand, and this is very important, the working of the Holy Spirit through the history of the church and what we're seeing even today. If you'll follow along with your Bibles, if you can, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I'll give you a second to turn there because we're going we're gonna to go through the first, ten chapters, the first eight chapters pretty quick. But I think this is important. And, and notice how many times we're going to reference the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. That's the promise. And they will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the mandate. 
So this is, this is, in my opinion, the purpose of the book of Acts. The history of the church, this is what we're going to be seeing throughout the book of Acts. It starts in Jerusalem, it moves to Judea, it goes to Samaria, and then Europe, and then we're, we're continuing that story here today. And then in chapter 2, we see the birth of the church. In verse 4, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. All of them are filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, Peter preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people are added to their number that day. So we have the growth of the church. In chapter 4, Peter and John continue teaching the people. And they're proclaiming in the resurrection, in Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. And it says that many who heard the message, they believed. And scripture says that the number grew to about 5,000. So the church is growing plenty. And in chapter 4, verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit again, continues to preach. And he says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no one for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That's in verse 12. And then as this is going on, we see that the church starts to be persecuted. In chapter 5, verse 42, we read that they don't stop teaching. We read that they don't stop proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And the word of God is spreading. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem is increasing rapidly. And there's even a large number of priests that became obedient even to death. And then in chapter 6, Stephen, a man full of God's grace, verse 10, chapter 6, verse 10, a man full of God's grace and power, he's defending the gospel. And even the men who challenged him, we read, could not stand up to him or against him or the spirit by whom he spoke. So what do they do? They seize him. And what does he do? He preaches. Chapter 7, verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then we read how the people stoned him to death. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. We are in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over, in, over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. I believe that persecution is the catalyst for rendering true what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, we read, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With evil shrieks, with, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. This is where we're first introduced, well, not first, this is where we're introduced to Philip. He's going to be one of the key main characters in this chapter. And it's Philip who is going to uh, meet with Simon the sorcerer. He is, uh, he is an evangelist. He is one of the seven 
from the church when Uberson was speaking in chapter 6. He was one of the seven that was chosen in the Jerusalem church. And he's, he's going down to Samaria and he's proclaiming Christ. And he's going, to meet, uh, he's going to meet Simon the sorcerer. So that's the context. That's where we are. Holy Spirit is at work. Good news is being proclaimed. The church is growing by the Holy Spirit through the, through the boldness and the preaching uh, of the disciples. And uh, there is persecution. And uh, people are scattered, but they're not leaving their faith behind. They're bringing it with them. So what do we know about Simon? Verse 12 of chapter 8. And now that I've given you the context, we're going to go back and we're going to look at the verses individually as, as, as we read through this. Okay? So what do we know about Simon? Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon, here we go, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. We read that Simon has been exposed to Philip. He's seen Philip. He's heard Philip preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He's been in the midst. He's been a part of. He's seen the great signs. He's seen the miracles performed by Philip. He's there. He's seen them. He's touched them. It's tangible, right? We just read in verse 13 that Simon himself believed. Simon himself was Baptized, And for these reasons alone, one could assume that Simon was a true believer. But we would be wrong. Because Simon's life is an example of a faith that does not save. What are the characteristics of a faith that does not save? Simon had the wrong view of self. He had the wrong view of salvation. He had the wrong view of the Holy Spirit. And he had the wrong view of sin. I borrowed this outline from someone smarter than me. But if you were taking notes, characteristics of a faith that does not save, the wrong view of self, salvation, Holy Spirit, and view of sin. So let's look at briefly each of these characteristics. The wrong view of self. Simon's biggest problem is that he is filled with pride. He has the wrong view of self. Simon thinks that he is really, really important. He thinks he's so important. He thinks that he is so great. We just read that he himself is boasting about how great he is. <laughs> At least wait for others to tell you how great you are. <laughs> right? Oh, look at how great I am! We read in verse 9, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and explained. This is hilarious, isn't it? This man is rightly, I love the word rightly. This man is rightly called the great power of God. And they followed him because he had amazed them for such a long time with his sorcery. Simon was practicing sorcery or magic. Which means, I don't know if you knew this, to be skilled in the art 
of the Magi, right? You'll remember in the story of Jesus' birth, it is the Magi who followed the what? The, the stars to the birthplace of Jesus. And so people with this type of art, this type of magic, were assumed to be uh, people who were able to discern the times. Like, get ready for the Lord. Or um, the reality or the mind of God. They, they, they pretended to know the mind of God. And, and sometimes this type of magic had demonic influence. Unfortunately, Samaritan people were also already superstitious. So it would have been easy, easier, for Simon to fuel their superstition. Right? To make himself even greater. And we read that Simon practiced sorcery. And the people were amazed. They were amazed. Right? You can say that the people were tricked. They were duped. Uh, wool was pulled over their eyes, right? They, they are calling him the great power of God. Someone who has connection with the gods, plural. Or an emanation. An emanation that has been elevated close to God. Somewhere between God and human. Just one of those emanations. And so what did they do? They followed him. They followed Simon because they had been amazed. They were duped. They were tricked. They were bewitched. You see, his magic did not point the people to Christ. Instead, his magic pointed them to him. It was about elevating Simon the Great One. And his lack of humility prevented him from being safe. You see, he loved the attention. He loved the status. He loved the followings. He loved being liked on social media. I know they didn't have social media back there, but he loved being liked. And so pride gets to his head. It confuses his judgment of self, and it prevents him from truly being saved. Pride was, what his, was one of his biggest problems, his, his view of self. Second, a faith that does not save, a second characteristic is the wrong view of salvation. You see, Simon was attracted to the miracle, and he was attracted to the power and to the signs, right? He, he wasn't attracted to the miracle maker. Th this is where his attention was. His attention wasn't over here. And, and he thought that salvation was something that was external. Hey, look, I believed. Maybe I shed some tears. I had a moment. I had, I had a moment, right? And he realized that it was something that was internal. It was a change of heart. Jesus in the parable of the soil speaks about a farmer who threw seed, the word of God, right? And there's four types of soils. Um, hard ground, where Satan comes and picks up the seed and people don't even hear the word of God. But then there's some seed that falls on the rocks, the worries of the world, some falls in the weeds, the distractions of the world. And then there's the seed that falls on good soil that multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. That wasn't the case for Simon the sorcerer. We even read in verse 13 that then Simon himself believing was baptized he began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. Earlier in this chapter, notice this, earlier in this chapter, on two different occasions, in verses 9 and verse 11, we read how the people were amazed at Simon's sorcery. 
right? You see the word amazed twice, one in verse 9, once in verse 11. Now we read that it is Simon who is amazed. Simon's amazed. The, the tables have been turned. Simon has observed all the miracles, all the signs. He's seen the power, and now he's scratching his head. He's scratching his head because he knows the difference between counterfeit and real, demonic and God. He knows the difference. He's not stupid. And he wants access to that real power. That's what he wants. He just wants access to the, to the power. And so he, it says he believes. It says that he's, he's baptized, right? It, it, it's an external act. If he does this, he thinks he will be saved. If he does that, well, then he will receive the power to do the miracles, to do the signs. And so Simon is here, and he's following Philip everywhere. But he's not interested in God who allows these great signs and miracles to happen. No, he wants the power to himself to elevate his status. Simon the great one, right? Which, again, fuels his pride. Word of caution. It's found in James chapter 2, verse 19. I'll read it to you. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Okay, Stephen, so what does that mean? All right, well, the third characteristic of a faith that does not save is the wrong view of salvation. We have the wrong view of self, wrong view of salvation. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria, this is verse 14, when the apostles, actually, I'm just going to correct this because I don't have it in my notes and I knew something was wrong. It's the wrong view of the Holy Spirit. Okay, third one is the wrong view of the Holy Spirit. First one is the wrong view of self. Second one is the wrong view of salvation. Third one is the wrong view of salvation. Here we go. Of the Holy Spirit. Oh boy, let me take another sip. Holy Spirit. Here we go. Verse 14. Glad you're listening and paying attention. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Peter and John are sent to Jerusalem, or are sent by the apostles in Jerusalem to Samaria to confirm the work that God has been doing through Philip. And obviously to assist Philip with these new believers. That's why he's being sent. When they arrive, we just read that they pray for the new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Question, don't know if any of you noticed this or asked yourself the question. Kelly's smiling. Why was this necessary? Why was this necessary? I, Holy Spirit? You had to pray for the Holy Spirit? I, th I thought it came at the time that somebody asked God into their life. I believe, based on what I read from the scholars and stuff, that the Jews needed proof that the Samaritans, who they hated, who there was animosity, there was discord, there was strife, there was all kinds of things, there was bad blood, what's called bad blood, contentions, all right? The Jews needed proof that the Samaritans were now actually part of the church. 
when the believers would receive the Holy Spirit, this would confirm unity between both groups. Jews and Samaritans were now part of the same body of Christ. And you'll see this again in a couple of weeks. In chapter 10, verse 44, Peter will also be present there. And you'll see it, when the Holy Spirit is given to the Gentiles, just as a reference, Acts chapter 10, verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. Now, today we know that anyone who accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior receives the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. How do we know this? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you, and when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own, here we go, by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. So that's what's happening in Acts chapter 8, I believe. Returning to the text, chapter 8, verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on the people, well, how did Simon see that? Did you think about that? It was an interesting question. I, I mean, what do you mean? It's not something that is tangible, is it? I, I thought the Holy Spirit was invisible. Again, many Bible scholars believe that the same evidence of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was present here. Now, I, I don't know what that means. I, does it mean that they, they, they saw fire? Did they see wind? Does it mean that they, there was different speaking in tongues? It doesn't matter. In my opinion, it doesn't matter. Why? Simon saw that the Spirit was given. That's how the Holy Spirit chose to work at that point. And so what does Simon do when he sees that? What does he do? Verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. He offered them money. There's a part of me that would love to know how much he paid. <laughs> Uh, how much denarii? Wait, wait, he went to his pocket. Like, how much is going to cut? Does he start bartering? Like, what's he thinking, right? Regardless, he thought that money could buy the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, let me have this power too, right? He exclaimed. So that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Look, he wants the power. He wants the authority. He wants to be what we call today an influencer. Right? Influ Everyone wants to be an influencer. He wants to amaze people. He wants to be known as the great power. By the way, that is a title that would later be given to Jesus Christ. Let me buy it. How much does it cost? Oh, maybe some of you get this reference. My precious. Hmm. If I had a magical wand, and I didn't want to bring it this morning, I, I have one, I do, but I just didn't think it was appropriate. But if I had one, notice that the object of Simon's faith is the power and the signs. He, he is so focused on the magical wand, on the abracadabra, that he wants to hold the magic wand. And, and he wants to point it like this, and, and he wants the power, and he wants, and he wants to do the signs, but what he feels to see as he's pointing this wand is that the wand is pointing to Jesus Christ. The wand is pointing to Jesus Christ. It's not about Simon. It's not about Philip. It's not about Peter or John. It's not about me. 
It's about Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners, died, buried, rose on the third day, resurrection power, Holy Spirit living in us. This is what I believe. Listen to it on the radio on the way in this morning. My wife couldn't have chosen a more perfect song at the time. It was like God was just speaking to us in the car. Jesus should have been the object of Simon's faith. Verse 20. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. What's wrong with Simon's heart? What's wrong with Simon's heart? Verse 21. His heart was not right before God. It means that he did not see his true condition as a sinner in need of a savior. He was more interested in the magic, in the influence, in the affluence that went with amazing people. Remember, Simon went from amazing people to being the one who is amazed. He's amazed in the power, in the signs, in the miracles. But those things in themselves over here, they do not save you. Instead, the amazement that he saw, that he experienced in the Holy Spirit should have led him to repent of his wickedness, to repent of his sin, and to pray to the Lord, God, I am so sorry for all the wrong things that I've done in your sight. Forgive me for having such wrong thoughts in my heart. I I know that my heart is not right before you. You know, the Greek word um, for, you know, not right before you, it, it means it's not straight. It means he had a crooked heart. He needed a heart transplant. One of my favorite verses, Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. It's one thing to do magic tricks for kids and for them to be fooled. But Simon was a grown man. And he should have known better. And God is speaking to him through signs and miracles. And he refuses to see with his eyes his true spiritual condition. God, not only do I have a hard heart, and not only do I need you to remove my heart of stone and to give me a heart of flesh, but I choose you. I choose you and I choose you alone. Not the signs, not the miracles, not the magic, for none of these things can save me. I choose you, for it is you who amazes me. Simon's faith was a false faith. The object of his faith was the supernatural, and nature, the nature of his faith was amazement. But salvation is not something you can buy, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Goes back to the first point about his pride. If you can earn it, then you'd boast about it. And this would, again, I said, feed into your pride. And you can't buy the Holy Spirit. Now, running out of time, I'm not going to do it. I had thought of maybe, but let me just say this to you. And for those of you who can follow this up during the weekend, and I hope maybe by the time this series is over, or maybe even as an extension to the series, maybe this is something that we can look into. But, you know, we keep saying this is, the, uh, the book of Acts is about the acts of the Holy Spirit. And I, I love for us to focus on the Holy Spirit a little bit more. But for time, I'm going to say this. 
In the book of Acts alone, there are 73 occurrences of the Holy Spirit. And each time you get to see the Holy Spirit's different role. I, I encourage you, I challenge you uh, to take some time this week, just as you're reading through uh, the book of Acts. 73 occurrences. Just see that the, how, how the power of the Holy Spirit was working in the early church. It, it, it's pretty amazing. All right. Faith that does not save. Characteristic, number four, the wrong view of sin. The wrong view of sin. Verse 22. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you. He will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Three identifiable problems. Probably enough here to do another sermon on another Sunday. Evil thoughts, bitter jealousy, captive by sin. I mean, Peter cuts straight to the chase, doesn't he? He confronts Simon's sin. He says, you need to repent. You need to do a full, I can't do it, <laughs> my back. You need to do a full 180. You need to do a full 180 turn away from your wickedness. You need to pray to the Lord. You need to acknowledge your sin. You need to ask for forgiveness. This is not something that you can purchase with money. Verse 24. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon explained, that these terrible things you said won't happen to me. Even here, in this verse, it does not appear that Simon has acknowledged his sin. I, I don't see it as I'm reading this. I think maybe he's scared. I think maybe he's offended about what Peter said. Maybe he's a little bit hurt. Maybe Peter hurt his feelings. Uh, nobody likes to be called out. Nobody likes to be embarrassed. Nobody likes to be humiliated, right? Uh, all that Simon is concerned about was that these terrible things that were said would not happen to him. That's where we're at. That's our portion of Scripture this morning. So what's the application? Or as Glenn Smith would say, so what? I, I see three things. And maybe you see others and Feel free to show them with me after this. But the first thing is this. What is the magic wand of our culture today? What distracts us from seeing Christ and Christ alone? Perhaps it's a speaker or a, a musical instrument or a vocal performance or a song selection or the Montreal Night of Worship. What do I mean? Has anybody here heard of Maverick City Hall? Anyone listen to the music? Spotify, look it up. Spotify, Maverick City Hall. Fantastic, love it, great worship. Why do I bring this up? Within the last year, the lead singer was kicked out from the group. And if you look at the, the reasons why, I thought they were very... Uh, I, I love the response. It was very professional. It just said that the core values of the singer no longer reflected the message that they were trying to portray through their music, through their song, and through their worship. And so sometimes it's an activity, it's a song, it's a performance that we get so caught up and it's in the magic that we forget to focus on Christ and Christ alone. 
Or maybe it's camp, or maybe it's a youth group, or maybe it's a Bible study, or maybe it's a young at heart. Each and every one of these things in themselves is good. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that all of these things should point us to Christ. See, we can, be believe, we can believe, and we can be baptized, and we can attend church, and still not be a Christian as demonstrated by the life of Simon. Believing in our head is not the same thing as trusting with our heart. And it's essential that we put our faith in Christ and Christ alone. And if you go speak with Keith later, we'll go back to the book of Ephesians, and he'll tell you, brother, I could read your mind. Don't get in trouble for that reference, that joke. Right? Christ and Christ alone. Christ plus nothing, Keith will tell you. Christ plus nothing. It's essential that we put our faith in Christ and Christ alone. Ignore the magic wand. Look to whom the wand is pointing to. Second, recognize the dangers of the occult, the supernatural, the mystical, uh, magical beliefs, practices, phenomena. Uh, some people consult fortune tellers, psychics, horoscopes, Ouija boards. They look to these things for guidance, for future direction, right? Folks, this is dangerous. This is not for entertainment, right? Instead, as believers, we need, to be, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in all truth. Uh, I read of the story of a woman uh, who was hypnotized in order to quit smoking. Uh, she lost 50% of her memory. Uh, the author suggested, I'm not saying true or not true, I'm just saying the author suggested that a demon attaches itself to part of her brain, and it's only that when she repented and confessed the name of Jesus did her memory return. Look, stay away from demonic activity uh, make sure the decisions that we make in life are not a gateway for demonic invasion. You're saying, Stephen, come on, even today. I mean, if you remember the 90s, I remember Jojo. Uh, she was re reading Minds on TV. It was crazy. Um, even this, this week, could not believe this. Okay, this is Financial Post this week, dated Wednesday, July 12th. All right, I had my outline done before then. A wand of hope, picture of a mother and a child, uh, cancer survivor. I'm going to read this. A friend gave my daughter Emily a magic fairy wand when she was diagnosed with high-risk neuroblastoma at age five. The note attached said it belonged to a little girl with cancer and that it cured her. It promised to cure Emily too. I rubbed the wand all over her back, arms, and legs and put it in my nightstand drawer where it has remained for more than a decade. Though I knew better than to believe a plastic stick with pink feathers could save her life, it didn't stop me from trusting it could, during the many years of follow-up scan, survivorship appointment, managing the collateral damage from her treatment. This kind of magical thinking eased my anxiety and uncertainty and gave me what her doctors couldn't, a promise that she'd live. This is real, folks. They believe the magic wand provided them with hope and power. It's so easy to be distracted from God, the true source of hope and power and healing recognize the dangers of the occult, stay away from the occult. Three, I'm going to end with this. Realize the desire for power is powerful. All right, I used the word power twice, but um, Simon was blinded by power. Power manipulates others. Money, it's the power to buy. Simon wanted to buy the power, to do the signs, to do the miracles. Uh, who doesn't want to be financially independent to tell your boss how much you love them? Um, 
I actually like my boss. I really do. I've got a great employer, especially if you're listening to this. The problem is that we can become less dependent on God to meet all of our needs. Uh, beauty, attractiveness, sex appeal, let's just call it what it is. It turns heads. Who, who doesn't want to be attractive, right? But we don't want to attract the opposite, opposite sex for all the wrong reasons, especially for beauty alone, right? What about, hey, look, you're a child of God, or you're created in God's image, or you've got a heart of God, or you love witnessing to others about God. Look at their heart, right? Uh, how do we use it for his glory? I mean, we are all loved by God. The most important thing is that we are all loved by God. And lastly, I think this is important. We shouldn't exercise our power over others. Husbands over wives. Wives over husbands. Parents over children. You get my, my point. It is so easy to make it all about me, the great power. Hey, it would be great, you know. Hey, have my children come to me. Have my spouse come to me. Consult me. Come to me for guidance. You need me. Makes me feel good and important. No, 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 no. We make ourselves to be like God by turning them to God. So make sure that the power um, does not, it's not the desire for power doesn't negatively influence us. Be very, very careful. All right, so in conclusion, this is what we're going to finish with. Simon, he began this chapter by looking so good on the outside, right? He believed. He was baptized. He went everywhere with, with Peter. He followed, him, he, went, he followed Philip everywhere, and then he followed Peter. He followed John. But his story tragically, tragically is the word I'm using, his story tragically ends with the wrong view of self, with the wrong view of salvation, with the wrong view of the Holy Spirit, and the wrong view of sin. He had a faith that does not save. Okay, Simon the sorcerer, he had the wrong type of saving faith. He was focused on the signs. He was focused on the miracles. He missed the power of the cross. He had the, uh, the great, his greatest need for a savior. He did not see it. And next week, we're going to study the life of an Ethiopian who had a faith that does save. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray that if there is anyone here this morning, that they would see the cross, that they would see you, Jesus, that they would see their sin, that they would see their need of a Savior, and that they would believe with their mouth and confess in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you that we have this incredible gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you that under no other name is there the power to save. And so God, help us to have the right view of sin, the right view of the Holy Spirit, the right view of salvation, and the right view of self. Help draw us to you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would continue working in our lives and in your church as it continues to grow and you continue to be exalted in all things. Thank you for the power of your resurrection. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit living in each and every one of us. And may it never be about us, but may it always be about you, the author and perfecter of our faith. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a blessed Sunday.